Welcome to It's No Secret, a podcast for Kiwis who want their money questions answered. Ready, steady, go. This podcast will answer the money questions you may or may not have on your mind. We'll talk to real Kiwis and share truths about our own financial lives, both the successes and the failures. Because the truth is, there is no secret to achieving financial freedom. Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. Today we're back with part two of our podcast answering the question of how do I budget for a baby? If you haven't listened to part one, stop right now and go back one episode to tune in. If you have, then enjoy the rest of our chat about budgeting and saving for a baby. Um, so how are you actually going to do this? Now, I'm going to talk through some numbers. <laughs> Bear with me, people. Um, but whether or not you're a total like budget nerd and do this on a spreadsheet like me, or you just want to write it down on a piece of paper or the back of an envelope, it's essentially the same thing. But what I did, because I already run a budget spreadsheet... I basically took our existing budget spreadsheet, duplicated it and titled it Baby Leave. It's in the same set of Google Sheets so I can refer to it at any point in time. And basically all you're actually doing is you duplicate that. So you need a sense of what your current budget is. Even if you're not doing this on a spreadsheet, write it down on a piece of paper, your current income for both individuals and then your expenses duplicate that and then you're deleting out the income of the person who's going to be the primary carer so that's step one goodbye income gone (laughs) from there you need to add in baby costs because it's reasonable to assume that you have to buy things i.e nappies or bare minimums for a child Mm -hmm. so um we put in about 140 dollars a week now that is on the higher end i think from memory um a couple of years ago the average New Zealand household would spend about $78 a week on baby supplies. So it obviously can vary. I've just gone over at the top end. Also Mm -hmm. knowing that things have gone up with inflation. We live in the CBD, like all that kind of stuff. Um, And then adjust any other costs. So this to your point, Christine, of like, how much are you going to spend on yourself versus the child? (laughs) I just kind of played around with the numbers, but I guess I was realistic. Like, I reduced the amount of money that Luke and I would have for say going out for restaurants because naturally that's going to drop off for a period of time. But then I didn't, you know, delete out how much I could spend on coffees every week because I'm like, well, what if I am wanting to get out of the house and like walk down to the village and get a coffee? Um, You know, I kept in expenses like our cleaner because I was like, we actually have are probably going to get our cleaner to come more rather than less. But for a period of time, I'm going to put the gym on pause and be doing no exercise. So just kind of think through like, what are you actually going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's very, um, like practical life things. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have, possibly a screaming baby so I'm literally not going to go sit in a cafe and have it screaming beside me exactly and thinking through things like you know we at the moment get my food bag and it's like are we going to continue with that or are we going to you know if both of us or one of us are home all the time are we going to have the time to go to the supermarket that kind of stuff so Mm. just thinking about what are those types of choices that work for you um And then basically you need to tally up your expenses. So this is really easy to do if you're running it in a spreadsheet, but if you're not, you essentially just need to tally up what are your actual expenses? What are the new expenses that you've added in? And then minus off um, or minus that off the income and see what the deficit is. So for us, this was really easy um, in that when I duplicated the spreadsheet, 
So I had my cash flow one. I duplicated it and called it maternity leave. I deleted out my income because I'm going to go on leave. And then I left Luke's income in there. And at this point in time, I haven't factored back in any government leave. So we can talk about that in a sec. Um, But if I scroll down to the very bottom, we have a monthly deficit of $3,600. So it's quite a lot. Yeah. That's that's like an average salary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also not in my books. The like, we can make that work. Ideal situation. (laughs) Yeah. Like if anyone's gone through a budget or, you know, an expense reducing exercise, it's really hard to cull out like significant chunks, you know, Binning your Netflix at $17 a month is not going to make a dent in that $3,600 deficit. So let's just be realistic about that. (laughs) Um, You know, and the vast majority of that, if I'm honest, is our, you know, factoring in potential interest rate rises, which I have done in this spreadsheet. Um, Our home loan repayments are $55,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a pretty high hurdle to overcome from the get go. Yeah, so, you know, and we, well, there's no room to move with that, right? Like that's just not even really an option. Yeah. So this for me is when I'm like, okay, then what do you look at? Now I would always look at, ignore what the annual difference is and try and focus on whatever your payment frequency is. So for us, we kind of run our numbers in a monthly, but if you budget to fortnightly, try and do it as a fortnightly number, whatever number it is to figure out your deficit, because then you need to kind of figure out, okay, well, how long am I going to have off work? How long am I potentially getting additional income payments for? I.e. you only get the 26 weeks, which is six months. It's easier to calculate that in like a monthly basis rather than um, like an annual basis, if that makes sense. So that's how we approached it. So I I was thinking to myself, okay, let's say our um, deficit is $3,600 a month. What am I going to get on a monthly basis from the government parental leave? What am I going to get from work? So let's say, for example, I'm going to get three months of fully paid leave. I'd be like, okay, if I want to take 12 months off, I don't need to worry about those first three months because I'm going to be at full pay. Then to your point about annual leave, I'm like, how much annual leave do I have? And do I want to use that to extend my leave? Okay. I've got enough annual leave to buy me an extra month. So now I'm at four months fully paid that we don't have to budget for. But if I want 12 months off, that's another eight months I need to cover. <laughs> yeah. um, but the number starts to reduce, right? In terms mm. of that total sum of money that you potentially need to set aside. So that's what we started to work towards. So let's say for argument's sake, I wanted to cover those full eight months. I would take my 3,600 monthly deficit, basically times it by the number of months that I actually want to cover. And just for the sake of this example, that comes out at about $29,000. Okay. So So that I would then take that lump sum number and be like, that's the amount of money that we need in savings in advance of this baby being born to cover us for the full 12 months at the expense level that we want to live at. I feel like I just have a sigh of relief (laughs) because while obviously the deficit isn't ideal, I think it's a very logical way to think of it in terms of like, okay, well, if you want to maintain your lifestyle as well or make minor sacrifices, but this is kind of how you operate, what is it going to take? Yep. To, to get that in terms yep. of like what are the gaps that you need to fill and then that then equates to 
definitely the lump sum that you need and you need to break yeah. it down i think you know that people can find this really overwhelming very quickly and sure it absolutely is overwhelming if you think oh my god i'm not going to earn any money for a whole year and this is what it's going to look like but when mm. you start to break it down in the way that i just talked through it to be like okay what's the monthly shortfall or the fortnightly for- shortfall how are other ways that perhaps I can reduce that from mm. 12 months if that's how long you're using as your benchmark to take off down so I don't need to save 12 months of it. Then how many months mm. do I actually need? What options do we have there? You know, do you have things like in the other practical example, Luke and I have talked about I'm not actually taking 12 months off. I'm only taking nine months of paid leave and then he's going to try and take three months or roughly three months off with annual leave so that I can go back to work part-time. Um, at that point and we can do this like split care so are there options like that that you know means if I'm only needing nine months off in total and we've just talked about I can make four months of paid work work then I only need to cover an extra five yeah you know and all of a sudden that number starts to become a little bit more palatable and less daunting yeah right yeah do you mind I have two questions do you mind sharing how much your lump sum came out to be Yeah, so the original lump sum, the very original plan, which was we were budgeting on the fact that I was the sole income earner. We did say that Luke might have a little bit of work here and there, but when he wasn't in New Zealand and he was doing his handyman work, it was really infrequent. So we Mm -hmm. had kind of no guarantee of that. Um, And we had budgeted on me only taking six months off. We had $45,000 set aside. For, for six, six months. months. Okay. Now, That's good to know. that was a choice as well because realistically I was like, holy shit, we can't save $90,000 for me to take nine months off. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Like is, yeah. that was the hurdle too far. Yeah. Um, and so the trade-off we had to make was, okay, Kat's going to take off six months. The first six months, we ooh, we can cover that. <laughs> Luke's going to take off the second, we'll just not work for the yeah. second six months and be a primary carer. Um, so that mm. was the first situation. He has now gone back to work at New Zealand, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, update. <laughs> <laughs> and when we then obviously had to redo that, we felt really good because I was like, well, we've got the $45,000 set aside. We're actually not going to need all of that. Mm. So at the moment we did these numbers the other night, actually, actually last night, cause we've gone a bit over budget on our house renovations team. <laughs> so, um, we have decided to set aside $11,400. Okay. So that, wow, um, that second income really like makes a difference. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, um, really because, you know, there's parts of, we kind of came in at the worst case scenario, which was originally, I wasn't going to get any paid parental leave. Now it's looking like I'll get three months paid parental leave. I have decided I'm going to use one month of, you know, basically been on no holidays in the last two years. I've got a lot of annual leave. I've got like close to 40 days of annual leave. So for me to use 20 of them for a paid month is not a big trade off. Um, So I'm going to do that. And then um, we, also have built in the fact that I may do a little bit of contracting work between months like six and nine. So still kind of take, you know, six months off and then get my government leave. And so then that's the other thing. When you Mm. add back in the government leave, um, when we add back in, yeah, the option to do that, we just needed a little less. 
nice. But yeah. I, I still want some, something there because, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the idea pressure. of seeing like how much money you have come in and then knowing what your fixed expenses are is very daunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the last two years of living on one income anyway without having a child has really taught us exactly how much we do spend. Mm. So I was very aware of that already. Mm. And I'm like, it's not going to go down. (laughs) Kat, let's not fool yourself. You're not like saving money whilst you're on maternity leave. What I find quite interesting, I guess, about both of those scenarios is Mm. that there's sacrifice on both sides. So, you know, like you going back to work earlier for the time period being shorter. But then on the other side, while Luke going back to work is obviously a great thing, he is going to be working. So like you are going to be managing without him. And it's the type of work that he does means that he's going to be away for multiple days at a time. I'm making the assumption. Um, So then there's a sacrifice there that, okay, yes, it is extended time wise, but there's a bit of juggling still there. Definitely. Rather than like a time intensive period where you're both doing it together. Definitely. And I think a lot of that factored into where we were not willing to compromise on reducing our expenses, if Mm. that makes sense. Because, you know, of course we could look at this and some people would look at this and be like, I'm not going to save any money because we'll just reduce our expenses to the net income, you know? So like Luke's net income, as I said, is about $85,000. So, Mm. you know, we could just work to live off $85,000, but I guess the point here is we didn't want to make that sacrifice. You know, I guess we're both motivated individuals that Mm. we would rather have time to plan for this in advance so that we can go into like this next phase comfortably rather than being stressed. Yeah. And I mean, there's like, again, sacrifices that come with doing that in terms of, you know, well, what are you actually having to cut out? So if you have to cut out therapy or, you know, Mm -hmm. self-care and things like that, is that going to be great for anyone around you and the baby? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not so great. Yeah. Well, also we realize that it's a luxury, so we don't want to sound too privileged, but it's a reality at the same time. Yeah. And I think as well, like maybe just to make anyone that's listening to this thinking like, oh my God, I potentially need to save a lot of money in advance. You know, we have worked with clients in the past that have literally come into meetings being like, hi, I'm like eight weeks pregnant. Um, (laughs) Help. Yeah. We've never planned for this goal. What do we do? And I think, you know, it's worthwhile noting that there's nothing Mm. like forced motivation, you know, in the same way that we had to make a significant change when Luke lost his job Mm. in a way that we would otherwise never have done without that experience happening. So, you know, being in the situation is motivating enough in itself and, you can do it even if you only have nine months as your leeway, Yeah. right? I think the point is to just be willing to talk about it with the other person that's involved if there is another person and make sure that you're both on that same page and willing to make the sacrifice so that when the baby comes, <laughs> it will be fine. Yeah, and um, I was just uh, silently chuckling because I was thinking about how Luke was suddenly really motivated to do all the renovations on oh, the yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. So, So, yeah. So, yeah. Fun. I know. So, I guess the next step is the baby needs some stuff. (laughs) The baby does need some stuff. (laughs) It's like the next stage um, and thinking about, I mean, yeah, you've kind of touched on the amount that you landed on, but like not knowing how many nappies you're going to need for a child and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Where do you start? Because fun Mm -hmm. fact, everyone back with another one. Um, in the first year alone, you can expect to go through roughly 2,500 nappies, which will cost you about $860. Yep. But all up, there are quite a few studies that show that the new parent tends to spend about 
10 to 15,000 in the baby's first year of life. So I guess it's, it's one thing budgeting for what is it going to cost to maintain our lifestyle. It's another thing like how much of a buffer do we need to pay for all those extra things? For sure. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, on that number, the amount that we've budgeted as an ongoing weekly cost, just for additional expenses, having a baby, it ends up being um, $7,280 for the whole year. But that's outside of all of the upfront costs that we need to pay, right, to buy the stuff to get set up. So yeah. I can very easily see how you would get to spending $10,000 <laughs> in the first year yeah. or more. Yeah. Um, now, I guess with this, it's worthwhile taking all of these numbers with a grain of salt because, of course, you can go like – Secondhand on trade me versus like as bougie as they come yeah Yeah, for all of these types of options we have been very lucky and this would be my top tip to anyone thinking about having a baby is we're basically the last of all of our friends (laughs) in New Zealand friends and family that have had a child so you know late bloomers (laughs) but it's been great because we've been gifted a lot of hand-me-downs and we've made a very um I guess just active choice that like we're not above being given anything secondhand. I was mm-hmm. like, I, you know, it's so easy to get sucked into getting all this new stuff. And I've just tried really hard not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the bare minimum, you know, things you need to think about is a capsule or a car seat. Obviously that's a legal requirement. You're actually not allowed to leave the hospital unless you have one of those in your car. So the baby can be safe. You'll need a pram. Um, you need a cot and then you need clothes, nappies, blankets, and other things. Um, That's kind of like your bare minimum, right, Mm -hmm. to really get by. But those big ticket items, you know, capsule can be anywhere between sort of $300 and $700, pram $500 to two grand, cot $250 to $1,500, you know. So Mm. they can add up very quickly if you're on the upper end. Um, we did buy a brand new capsule just because we actually kind of couldn't borrow one from someone. Um, we got a secondhand pram, which was gifted to us, which was amazing. Cause that mm. was a big saving. Um, we bought a nicer cot, so expensive. It would be about $1,800 new, but top tip, Australia has more people, therefore more secondhand items. <laughs> so I sent mum on a mission to find one on like Facebook oh, marketplace in Oz. Um, and so yeah, they basically – we got that cot for about, I think, $700, um, and nice. it's pretty great condition. So I was like, awesome, um, got that. <laughs> we didn't end up getting a change table because we just got a dresser from Trade Me, which we were going to use for clothes anyway, to double as a train change table, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've borrowed a heap of secondhand stuff from people like – baby baths and other things and then um we've been gifted a ton of hand-me-down clothes so Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and then i guess you know just things like buying in bulk so keeping an eye out for nappy deals online all that kind of things (laughs) exactly um and then really making sure that yeah, you just don't get stroller envy or the likes, which is very hard to do when you're spending a lot of time on the couch, like scrolling through Instagram, but really being disciplined about that has been good. So I think to date we've probably spent about $2,000 on the items that we've paid for. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. Like when you consider the average cost of a pram would be from 500 to 2000. Yeah. You've done all of that. At the cost of one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So we were really lucky, really lucky with that. Um, And yeah, and I think this is probably the part of the budget where you can have most flex based on your situation, right? Like you've Mm. got a little bit more flexibility, whereas you have less flexibility on the um, potential income deficit 
for someone being off work. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Love it. Great yes. savings by you. Go you. Oh, Little thank bargain you. Hunter over it's, there. <laughs> I know, but can I also just say, like, don't, if you are pregnant, like, don't go into the baby shops because you just <laughs> yeah. see really cute stuff and it's so hard to, like, <laughs> you're like and, you know, oh, you're hormonal yeah. and emotional and you're like, oh, my God, this is so nice. <laughs> and then you're like, why am I buying a, like, $50 baby blanket? Rabbit, yeah. This is ridiculous, <laughs> literally. literally. <laughs> yeah. Just need to stop. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So good. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. So, I guess post first six months or one year, we kind yeah. of touched on it slightly, but what about returning to work? So, great question. The trade up of getting childcare versus staying at home with the child. I mean, you touched on it, sounds like you've considered this, but yeah. before we dive into your answer, I'm going to throw yeah. some stats at you. Cool. So, a 2021 report by you said. A 2021 report by UNICEF said that when it comes to childcare affordability, a couple on an average income in New Zealand needed to spend more than a third of one salary to pay for two children in full-time care. This was the second highest out of the 41 countries behind Switzerland. And to build on that, in New Zealand, um, parents are entitled to 20 hours of free ECE, which is early childhood mm-hmm. care, right, um, per week for children aged three to five. So, yeah. I mean, personal, similar kind of personal experience with this mm. is chatting to my mom about, you know, like what's maternity life, uh, maternity leave like in Denmark. Yeah. I know that you get um, one year of full-time paid work and it's you can split it between the parents, but then also child, child care is free, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Like that's when the education system becomes free until they graduate uni. So yeah. that could be a huge expense, right? Definitely. Definitely. And this was absolutely something that I had no idea what it would cost. Because <laughs> I've had, you know, talking about like we're basically the last of our friends in New Zealand to have kids. Mm-hmm. And of course, lots of those people have different work situations. We have like double income families, some people that have like been stay at home parents forever in a day, some that have stayed until like both kids have gone to school, all different situations. And I've never really known what would be relevant to us, I guess, in terms of cost. And I think, you know, the one thing I have thought about is like separating the money decision from the emotional decision, because obviously there's so many different ways or emotions that people could feel about returning to work in the first place. So we're not going to comment on that because that's (laughs) obviously totally dependent on you as an individual. Mm -hmm. But if you're purely looking at the numbers, um, then there are things that you can think about. The first thing that I didn't know is um, in New Zealand, it can be quite hard to get a place based on availability for under twos because um, at an earlier childhood centre, usually the under two-year-olds, there's less of them and there's a higher carer-to-child ratio required. So, Mm -hmm. of course, the wait list can be longer. So, I am currently, what, like 27 weeks pregnant and at like 20 weeks, people were like, are you emailing ECEs to like get on the wait list? I was like, oh, oh my what? God. <laughs> I felt like a total psycho being that person because I was like, our kid isn't even here yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. this is very normal, guys. So anyone else that just wants to be like onto it, let us know. The other thing as well um, I found really interesting was that the costs really vary based on area. Mm. So we live in Mount Eden and I made inquiries to centres probably about six different centers and the cost for ECE. So this is full time, um, five days a week cost range between 280 and $550 per week 
It's a lot of money. Yeah. So that mm. is a like and a significant like variation, right? Mm. Um, I've also since spoken to friends that live in different suburbs. I I know someone that lives in Mount Albert and they pay $250 a week. So I'm gonna just say that there may be some like <laughs> suburb pricing going on in here. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I also hadn't been aware of. But there is that factor. Um yeah. now I guess the reason that I wanted to know this was less about the decision because we had already made the decision that two of us earning money was better than one of us earning money. Mm -hmm. And I guess Luke and I are both, well, me in particular, like very career driven. And I just knew that I wanted to return to work. I never really would consider being a permanent stay at home parent at this time in my life because it's just not something that I have a desire to do I'm 100% with you on that (laughs) so I had kind of known that I was going to go back to work but I didn't know what the cost would be to put our child in childcare, um, and I wanted to also see you know quite frankly when I do go back to work that will be for the first time our highest household income that we've ever earned Mm. because of the pay rises that I've had over the last two years. And then of course, Luke being off and now us both being on double income. So I was bloody stoked because I'm like, Oh my God, we actually have like, ironically, even when we're paying for childcare, we're still in like our highest cash flow surplus position we've ever been in. Amazing. Yeah, that's really so cool. I'm really yeah. stoked. Like for me, that's, that's a huge motivator because yeah, I'm like you celebrated that. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to. Like, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Um, but of course, I did want to know what the cost was going to be. And I think it's also worthwhile talking about. Like, I can totally see why people end up working from home when they have two kids because, mm. um, you know, if yeah, we look right. at those ranges, two hundred and eighty dollars a week is fourteen thousand five hundred a year. Which, if you were earning that, that's a salary pre-tax of twenty thousand dollars. Whereas at the upper end, that five hundred and fifty dollars a week is just shy of twenty nine thousand dollars a year, and that is a pre-tax salary of thirty five thousand dollars. Now, I look at those numbers and I'm like, I work in professional services. I earn more than that. It makes a lot of sense for me to go back to work. Mm -hmm. However, if you had a different type of job, I can see why there would be a trade-off here, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of like people saying that the cost of them going back to work is essentially the cost of childcare. Then the other thing that I can say would materially change this is if you have two children under three where both of them are not having ECE-funded care and they need to be in daycare because at the upper end, you know, 28,000 becomes double, 35,000 pre tax becomes 70,000 pre tax. That starts to potentially change some of the like equation or situation for people. So, mm, um, you know, the easy decision for us was with one child, it makes complete and logical sense for both of us to be at work and us to be paying for childcare. If we're happy with that at a moral level, if that's the right way to phrase it, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. we're happy with that as a life decision. Yeah. Um, but when we have two kids, maybe that will change. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Right. So I guess you'd have to just go through this whole process all over again. Yeah. To pretty much. Try to reassess. Yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. And I think, you know, like we are lucky in that, Luke obviously has like shift work. Mm. So, um, you know, that's true. Actually, he gets to have probably more time at home, potentially midweek and stuff looking after the baby or like looking after one year old, which would Mm. be cool. Um, but we're working on this basis that she'd be in daycare full time. Um, and I think also spoiler alert, Kat, just let you know the gender. (laughs) I know. I was like, so thanks for listening this long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think as well, like I had a lot of nervousness about like the social 
side of deciding whether or not to go back to work. And I remember talking to my mum about this and she said to me early on, she was like, well, I sent you and your brother back to daycare at six months each. And I think you guys turned out fine. And I'm pretty sure you don't hate me. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And then the other realization is I knew I went to daycare, but I had no idea that I was six months old. Mm, Like I remember that time of my life, but I don't have any negative feelings about it or idea of like the age I was at that time. And I think, you know, her Mm. just being practical about like they had to be practical that that was the best decision for them. Don't worry about it. Like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Or, and I guess I was just thinking this with the shift work as well. Mm. There's the benefit that Luke will be able to be at home on some days, but you also have the support of Luke's family, right? And his mom and things like that. So that could possibly create more days where the child isn't at um, care, but also you might need to like use that saved money to support you on the days that he's away, right? So it's not just one either or situation. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So yeah. So I guess, yeah, current plan is I definitely will be going back to work. I'm hoping that I can transition back part-time just to make it easy, I guess, and see how that works out. Um, but yeah, I'm secretly, this may sound a bit savage, but secretly (laughs) stoked about us both being on full-time salaries because we've got quite a cash flow surplus and I'm like yay we can be investing and maybe saving up for like I don't know our next house or something you know there's positives that I'm trying to focus on yeah or you can like bank the cash for the number two exactly (laughs) pump them out (laughs) exactly so yeah so that is the plan yeah nice does that answer all your questions are you now like terrified no I think I feel slightly more calm about it but also like well I better plan. <laughs> yeah. Can I say, though, I feel like maybe going through this example would encourage people that are thinking about having a family to do this mm. because I know for me, I feel so much more in control at least knowing this and yeah. at least knowing the outcome and being like, okay, well, you know, we have options. Do we need to reduce our expenses? Do we need to save money? How is that going to look like? Do we maybe yeah. need to delay having a baby by six months? Like to give those us, yeah. sort, just, you know, those sorts of things. I think sometimes people can look at it as a totally different decision to another financial goal but there's no reason why you can't kind of approach it in a way that is a little bit more planned Mm. and lean into that like of course there are always going to be unplanned situations and that happens (laughs) and that is life but if you are the type of person that likes planning I would just say go for it yeah yeah so I guess you touched on before you figured out that um it was going to be roughly 18 months that you needed to save the money. So I think, so for me, I logically think, okay, well, when is the best time to be thinking about that? Is it two years out? Totally. Or two to three to four years out. And let's be frank, like, how do I not sound like a total psycho if I'm not even like engaged or married to this person that I'm potentially going to have kids with. And I'm like trying to build in potential family planning to a goal that they're like, what the heck? Or if you want to take an unconventional route, quote air quotes with that and um, not get married or something yeah like that. yeah and yep. do it by yourself or yep get a surrogate or whatever else yes there's a lot of other factors there that you can yeah take the time it's funny because we would often have couples come in 
or one person like, you know, say like classic example would be a couple like you and Ollie, Mm -hmm. where one of you might be getting financial advice. And this would be a goal that usually the females are thinking about because I think (laughs) they have that pressure of I'm going to be the person that has to take time off. And I don't know what necessarily the income situation of the person I'll end up being with looks like, but what I can do is save for myself. Mm. And so it was quite common that we were working with females for this goal, like almost well in advance of them kind of even necessarily knowing who they would be having this baby with a hundred percent. And I think that there's no downside to that because Mm. the flip side of this is, is like, well, if we had been working towards that and we got to the point where we had saved our $40,000, if for whatever reason, like, you know, if I had done that by myself Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work out or situations change or whatever might happen, like you're going to have that money to go and work on something else. Mm, It's not a waste. Right. And, and you don't have to admit to people what it is that money is for. Yeah. You know, like if you're a bit embarrassed to kind of say, Hey, person that I'm dating, I know we've been dating for two years. I like, we sort of talking about our finances. I don't really want to tell you that I put aside like $200 a fortnight for a future baby. Cause you might be like, wow, you're a psycho. (laughs) You know, you don't have to tell them that. You just tell them like, Oh, this is just my future savings. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Like, and then if that future savings gets used for a home deposit or a baby, like it doesn't really matter. Mm. It can work out for you in whatever way. Do you know, this is a weird side tangent, but um, so if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that I have endometriosis and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot is like, mm. okay, well, how early do I actually have to start trying to mm. then get pregnant? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is that process and journey going to be mm-hmm. like? Because I have this feeling that I'm not, it's not going to be an easy one. And so like yep. thinking about IVF or, you know, what it is that you, the journey that you then have to take, that is also a yes. lot more expensive after, if you don't get it in the first few government rounded yep. rounds thing. And so like for me as an individual, I'm absolutely in that route it I've never actually thought about putting money aside for it Mm. but it makes a lot of sense to be thinking about that a bit further out because it's also like and this I think whole episode leans into it like thinking what are the life goals first and foremost and then how does money play into that right yep yep yeah it's the same thing, like a similar vein of, you know, people not saving in advance for weddings and then mm. getting engaged and having to like debt fund weddings because they haven't <laughs> had that. And I think a lot of it is the societal pressure of, I don't want to be saving for this goal in advance that I don't even know is going to happen because mm. people will judge me for that. I might seem really pretentious. Yeah. Like, who do, who do think I think I am? You're being pressure like, on the other person. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's mm. like, well, if that if that's something that you want to have happen in your life <clears throat> in the same way that you want to have happen you buying a house mm. like that's okay you can just build that into your goals and therefore your savings plan or whatever you might yeah. be working towards like you can do that and also not be a psycho and you can do that <laughs> and like not know who you're going to have a baby with that's yeah. fine you know i think yeah. it's about that same vein of like it gives you more options in the future because even if the goal changes or the situation changes or you change your mind Mm. you've still got the money to use for something yeah definitely I think it comes back to just removing the emotion out of it a little bit of Mm -hmm. like okay well what are the actual facts Mm -hmm. and what are the goals and the money Mm -hmm. and whatever else which is why financial advisors are great and I think this is why we did this often for people because Mm. you know if I said to you, like, go and have a chat with Ollie about how much you guys think you would need to save for, like, 
parental leave or having a baby, that would, I imagine, be quite a challenging conversation for you guys to have versus mm-hmm. if you were seeing me as a financial advisor and we'd come in to talk about your goals and you guys share all these goals for me, the first thing I would be like, okay, is, well, you've talked about maybe saving for a wedding or buying a house together. Do you, Have you guys thought about having kids? And if I can kind of see that you're like, yes, I'll be like, okay, well, do we want to, like, have we ever thought about how much money we'd need for that and what time frame that's like. You know, other people ask those questions to you and then it's less confrontational because it's a third party. And And I can just go and do that and then give you the number. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and whether you guys decide to action on it is another thing, but that is much less um, confronting Mm. for you two than it is for one of you to have to, like, engage in that conversation. Yeah, this is just making me think I need to go see an advisor. <laughs> <laughs> Parental leave planning with Cat 101. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. So, yes. Yeah. It is, it is tricky. And I think, you know, we have some tips and tricks here in terms of, like, getting yourself in the best financial position. But I do think that the vast majority of it comes down to exactly what we've just talked about around being honest with yourself as to like where this sits in your goals Mm. priority list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're hyper-focused on, I don't know, saving money for retirement and you're 25 or thinking about like saving to buy a house. And this is something that you think will be important to you. Mm. Put it in there. Like it's okay. You can put it in there and see how it might fit in. Um, And just, yeah, start working towards it, I guess, as soon as you can or whenever you feel ready being practical about, you know, I love like doing worst case scenario (laughs) spreadsheets of like you know just seeing like okay well what happens if I delete out my income yeah and just seeing what that looks like yeah right yeah yeah well actually we had a conversation about this the other day about Mm. like visualizing the worst case scenario over and over and over and what is it what is what happens when you get get to the point of normalizing that scenario exactly then it removes the emotion it's like okay I'll be okay yeah it's like the security and the the feeling safe yes Definitely. With the outcome. Definitely. And I think, you know, when it comes to having children, people can be so caught up in like when's the right time to do it and you always get told like Mm. there's no right time. And that I think Mm. is 100% true in life. But I guess for those people like you or I who are type A personalities need some sense of control. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to time when you actually fall pregnant. No one can really do that. But this is potentially something that you can control and plan for. And if that is going to make you feel better, it's okay to do that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Love it. (sighs) Should we run through these extra tips? (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Cool. So to wrap up, Christine, what what are some top tips? Some top tips. This one we've already touched on is Mm. just try to get yourself in the best financial position as as possible um, before you have kids. So that's things like building your emergency fund, um, paying off any high interest debt, yeah. dot, 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 you know the drill. Yes. <laughs> All the things we usually talk about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so like planning into these scenarios, does mm. your emergency fund need to increase now that you've got like yep. a ch- little child running around? Yes. Do you need to up- upgrade the house, do any renovations, buy a car, all those kinds of things? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. I would add to that um, just being realistic about the fact that 
regardless of where you are on the time frame to having a baby, you may need to put some other goals on pause. So mm. being realistic about, you know, things like upgrading the car or the houses you talk about um, or just needing to, you know, squirrel money away for taking time off may mean mm. that there's going to be some short-term compromise on your other financial goals and being okay with that. That was something that we had to really reconcile ourselves with for quite a while. And I've had to see people do, particularly when they come in and they're like, hi, we're pregnant. And you're like, okay, cool. We're going to put all of these other things that you wanted to work <laughs> yeah. for, for on hold. And we're going to focus on this and just yeah. be cognizant that like, that's going to have to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Love it. And then number two is consider the drop to one income in the short, medium or long term. So as you would have heard in this episode, just weighing up the cost of um, childcare versus and being on one income mm. and whether you want to do that or not. So a tip you could do with this is practice living on one income before the baby comes yes. if that's a decision that you're going to make. Yes, I definitely. thought it would be a nice little confronting way to do it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but a good test, I think, in a lot Absolutely. of ways. Absolutely. Because then if you live it pre-baby arriving, you've got room to move if it doesn't work for you or exactly. maybe you extend the timeline, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and then I think my last tip would just be, you know, not sticking your head in the sand and getting onto it as soon <laughs> yeah. as possible. Um, you know, yeah. the earlier you start, the more flexibility you will have to make decisions, right? Whereas the later you start, the less likely that is to happen. So yeah. whilst it may be daunting, if this is something that you're faced with soon or, you know, right now, start thinking about it because the more time you have, the more flexibility you've got. Yeah. Love it. Crushed it. Boom. So good. Well, we hope you enjoyed that nice in-depth conversation (laughs) about rental babies. And look, you know, any listeners out there that already have had kids, like love to hear any feedback or thoughts you have on things that you did differently or would do differently to us because, of course, this is just my view. This is our lived scenario at the moment. Things may change and, you know, it's not um, one way suits everyone. So yeah, please get in touch with us over on the gram at it's no secret NZ, or you can head over to our website, www.itsnosecret.co.nz. Um, and you can flick us an email. Yep. We love to hear from you guys. Yeah, as um, you know, we like to chat. So yeah. Thanks for listening in and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.